Amen. Good morning. Today's message I've titled Show Me the Path of Life. And I would like for us to look in our Bibles in the book of Psalm, chapter 16, verse 11. If you would please turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 16, verse 11. The Bible says, That will show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore, the Bible says. And in our New Testament, there's a famous verse that tells us this path, the path of life. John 14, 6, where the Bible says, I am the way. This is the path. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the path of life. If you please turn with me, let's take a look at that passage, John chapter 14, but we're going to begin with verse 1. John chapter 14, verse 1, the Bible says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Here in this short passage, we see some of the eternal blessings that God has given us. God says in my house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. He has a, a home prepared for us in heaven. When we depart from this life, when we open our eyes and we're present with the Lord, we have a home. We have an eternal home. And he says that where I am, there he may be also. We're going to be with our Lord Jesus Christ. And this for all eternity. And not only will we be with our Lord Jesus Christ, but we're going to be with all believers in Christ from all generations. We're going to see people that we've known in our lifetime who were believers. And we're going to see them and be with them forevermore. And the Bible reminds us of this. In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you please look with me, in the 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, We're going to read from verses 13 forward. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, 
The Bible says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that we sorrow not, even as others sorrow which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here it says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I believe we've all known, we've all had loved ones and friends, people who were very dear in our lives, who were believers. And we have this hope. We have the assurance that we will see them again. Our separation is temporary. One day, the Bible says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's a temporary separation. We will be present with the Lord and all believers from all generations. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is a path of life. The only way to arrive at your, the destination in heaven is through our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> he paid the price in full. He paid the price for your ticket to go to heaven so that you and I could be on our way to heaven. The prophet Isaiah mentions, he talks about the sufferings of Christ. He talks about what Christ went through. Let's look in the book of Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Isaiah 53, verse 1, the Bible says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. In verse 2, it says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And then it says, as, And as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And we, we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. 
God is comparing our Lord Jesus Christ to a, a plant that comes up out of a dry ground, a desert plant. There's no beauty in it. It's not desired. It's not one that you pick to decorate your home with. My wife and I were in, in the West LA area one day. Actually, our whole family was. We were driving through the West LA area and I asked my wife, do you want to go see these big mansions in Beverly Hills? She got excited. The kids got excited. Said, yeah, let's go. Let's go look. Let's go see them. And we drove through these the streets in Beverly Hills and we saw these huge mansions. Maybe seven times, ten times bigger than my house. And all we heard was, wow, ooh, they're taking pictures. And you see the beautiful gardens that they have, how neat they are. How everything is lined up and perfect and throughout this huge house. And we drive down these streets and every home is the same way. They have these, it looks like artwork, beautiful gardens. And my wife said, you notice the difference with the way the rich live and the way everyone else lives. They can hire a team of gardeners to come and take care of all this. It's a lot of work. It's a massive property with so much to take care of, but it's beautiful. And I remember these homes, how pretty the landscaping was. Then we come back home and we drive to where we live in Palmdale, Lancaster, and we drive down these streets where all we see is dry brush and a Joshua tree. You don't know what a Joshua tree is, it's a crooked tree that looks like, like this, that's all it is. <laughs> Nothing to be desired, it's not a pretty tree. And for miles, as you're driving, this is what you see. Dry brush, Joshua tree, dry brush, Joshua tree. And the Bible, is comparing our Lord to this plant that comes out of, out of a dry ground, not to be desired. Gives us a picture of this dry brush that's in Palmdale, this Joshua tree that's in the high desert. It says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground, he has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You don't pick one of these dry brushes from the desert and put it in your house as a decoration. There is no beauty. No one desires this. And this is what our Lord experienced in his earthly ministry. No one desired him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteem him not. Man has, a diff has an imagination of what 
a savior would look like, right? Or what a, a superhero, someone who would come to save them would be. And they rejected our Lord. He wasn't what man had in mind what a savior would look like. Man imagines somebody tall, good looking, full of muscles, full head of hair, with the S on his chest and a cape, right? And Superman is born, right? We got this superhero. He's uh, the savior. Oh no. Man thinks completely different than the way in which God thinks. Our savior, the Bible gives us a different picture of what our savior was like. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He took upon himself the chastisement that I deserved. He took upon himself my punishment to make peace between me and God, the Lord Jesus Christ. took upon himself my chastisement that I deserve. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut out, out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. For the transgression of the children of Israel was he stricken. And we can say today for the transgression of Los Angeles, of our city, was he stricken. He was stricken for you and me. It says in verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. I was lost, gone astray, did not know the way. I had rejected God's word. I even made fun of people who believed in God's word. I said, there was no God. You're wasting your time. 
despite me being God's enemy at that time, being full of sin. And I was the one who despised our Lord, who rejected him. Christ still went up on that cross and sacrificed himself for me. So that one day, I would have the opportunity to be saved. Say, so I love you, Isaiah. I did this for you, even when you hated me. I thank God for his sacrifice. I thank God for our Lord Jesus Christ taking upon him, himself all of my sin. If you please look with me in the book of Matthew, chapter 27. Matthew 27. We're going to begin with verse 1. The Bible says, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Judas Iscariot betrayed our Lord. And when he saw how the Lord was going to be condemned because of his betrayal, he wanted to return the 30 pieces of silver. They didn't care for these 30 pieces of silver. Judas, conscience bothered him so much, he went out and hung himself. He committed suicide. What an awful thing to do. Judas betrayed our, our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. I think of my own life. The times I betrayed our Lord, I hung my head in shame. It wasn't even for 30 pieces of silver. Our, Lord, our, our King David, he betrayed our Lord as well. There was a moment in his life when his kingdom was at war. The children of Israel were at war. They were out to battle. And while all the men of his kingdom were out to battle, he looked over towards his neighbor's house while he was up on the roof of his palace. And he knew that his neighbor's wife would be bathing herself at this hour. He purposely went up there to, up there to see her. 
And he coveted his neighbor's wife. And he sent his servants over there to bring her to his palace. He ended up raping this woman. And he sent her back home. Shortly after, he found out that she was pregnant. Now, what was he going to do? This would, his sin would soon come to light. He had sent his servants out to the battlefield to bring back Uriah, one of his generals, who's, uh, who was his neighbor. It was his wife that was now pregnant. He brought him back, hoping that Uriah would spend the evening with his wife and he would think that this is his baby that's going to be born. But Uriah did no such thing. He slept somewhere else. He cannot be with his wife while his fellow countrymen were, were out in battle. Uriah loved his country. He loved his people. He loved his king. He was out there sacrificing his life for King David's kingdom. They were all sacrificing their life for King David. And King David betrayed Uriah. He betrayed his his wife. And he betrayed our Lord. And in Psalms 51, if you would please turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 51. King David wrote this psalm after his sin was discovered. Psalm 51, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. King David confessed his sin, and he asked for forgiveness, knowing his God was merciful, that his God would forgive him. And 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, please look in... Our New Testament, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some sins that we commit, they cause so much damage, so much harm. And they cause so much harm and and pain to those who are closest to us, to our friends and relatives, those who love us the most. And sometimes we think 
that what I'm doing doesn't hurt anybody. It only affects me. But that's a lie. I'm sure King David didn't didn't foresee what was going to happen. I think he would have stayed far away from Bathsheba if he knew what was going to happen. He didn't think this would ever come to light. But the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God is faithful. He will forgive you. Confess your sin. And it says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and he will clean, he will clean your life. If Judas Iscariot was a believer, all he needed to do was confess his sin and ask for forgiveness. God would have forgiven him. He forgave King David for coveting his neighbor's wife, committing adultery, raping her, lying, murdering one of his generals. It's a multitude of sins. Terrible things. God forgave King David. God wouldn't have forgiven Judas Iscariot. But Judas chose to quickly go out and commit suicide. He was not a believer. He didn't trust in, in the Lord. He didn't trust in God. Let's look at John chapter 17, verse 12. John 17, 12, our Lord Jesus Christ says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Our Lord Jesus Christ kept all that God the Father has given him. And none of them is lost. Our salvation is secure. But the son of perdition, the son of lostness, which was Judas Iscariot, he was never saved. Judas was a lost man. And then it says that the scripture might be fulfilled. This was prophesied. And you would find this prophecy in Psalms chapter 41, verse 9. If you would please look with me in the book of Psalms chapter 41, verse 9. It says, yeah, Yea, mine own familiar friend, and whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. <clears throat> Thousands of years before this was prophesied, Judas was going to betray our Lord. He was going to lead the soldiers to our Lord Jesus Christ so they could take him as a prisoner. 
Going back to Psalms 51, the Psalm of David, we're going to read verses 6 and 7. It says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. That says, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop was a, a long stem. It was like a branch green with green leaves and a flower that budded at the end of it. And this is what the priests would use in the temple to dip in the blood and to sprinkle, to sprinkle blood. It was used as an instrument during the sacrifice. And King David says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David believed in the required sacrifice for his sin. He believed that he needed to be cleaned and that God would wash him and he shall be whiter than snow. And all the sacrifices that were made in the temple by the priests, they all pointed towards our Lord Jesus Christ. They were all a shadow of what our Lord Jesus Christ was going to do. He was going to take care of the matter of sin once and for all. If you would look for me, if you would look in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. going to read verses 10 through 14. Hebrews 10, 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered once, offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. For by one offering, he has perfected us. He has perfected the saints. He took care of the matter of sin. He offered himself upon the cross and gave his life. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. <clears throat> the matter of sin has been taken care of thanks to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 27.
Matthew 27, we're going to continue this passage, but from verse 11. Matthew 27, 11, it says, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him, To never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. They had a notable prisoner a murderer and a thief. He was condemned for these reasons and he was well known for this. He was an evil man. He deserved to die on the cross. He deserved condemnation. And then it says, therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? The governor, Pilate, I think for sure thought there's no way they would want Barabbas to go free. He's such an evil person. Our Lord Jesus Christ is going to, or Jesus Christ would go free. He's going to be a free man. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the, the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him saying have thou nothing to do with that just man for I have suffered many things this day and a dream because of him Pilate's wife was so worried they were coming this close to crucifying an innocent man he didn't do anything wrong he committed no crime They bothered her so much, even in she, she, even in her dreams, she had nightmares. Let this man go. Don't have anything to do with this just man. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas, Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So this 
murderer, murdering thief was set free. This criminal was set free and an innocent man died in his place. The just died for the unjust. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ didn't only die for in Barabbas' place. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ died for you and me. He died for our sin as well. He died in our place to set us free and give us eternal life. And with that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this hour that we had to look at into your word. And I pray, Father, that your word may work in, in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, that it would change us and mold us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're all dismissed.